We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. My name is Brent Satoris, and today I'm joined by Ilya Grigoric. You are the web performance engineer at Google. He founded the company PostRank, which you might know about if you were kind of really focused on social media and social signals back in 2010. You know, PostRank was all about being able to track social signals. And then it was acquired by Google in 2011. Um, he wrote a really well-respected book called High Performance Browser Networking. And he also speaks pretty regularly at, at various events and conferences. So really good to have you on the call. And I'm really happy that you're able to join me today. Thanks, Brent. Glad to be here. Um, and thank you for the really kind introduction. <laughs> it's well-earned, well-earned. I see, you know, I, I've seen so many of your videos and I've seen so many of your discussions and it's really impressive kind of, you know, I was mentioning to you this earlier, but I was really impressed by kind of the, the, the edge, like pushing the edge on where we're going. And I think that some of the areas that you're working on are, are really important for where we're going in the adoption of the web and where we're going in the Internet of Things as a whole. Uh, so I'm really excited uh, to talk to you a little bit. I wanted to to give you an opportunity to kind of just fill us in a little bit. I mean, you've been involved in a lot of things. We mentioned, you know, PostRank, when you got, a, you know, that got acquired by Google, you worked with analytics for a little while. Uh, can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about like your, you know, your process through the involvement of the projects you've been in and kind of a little background in yourself and, and where you've gotten to where you are today and your passion behind performance? Sure. So uh, I'll try to keep this brief. As, as you mentioned, um, I founded and ran uh, PostRank. And this was back, I guess, four, four or five years ago. Um, where our focus was on social analytics and, and marketing and helping publishers understand where their traffic is coming from, from the, the social web. So anything from uh, insights into where your content is being shared to who's sharing it and how you can do better at getting that content out there. So we, we built a couple of different products around that and uh, eventually through various engagements uh, started chatting with the Google Analytics team, which at that time was also... Uh, trying to come up with their strategy for social. And one thing led to another, we ended up joining the Google Analytics team and building a couple of anal uh, social analytics-related products within there, uh, a couple of reports, uh, helping some other teams within Google. Uh, at the time, Google Plus uh, was just coming about, so we spent a lot of time with, with that team, trying to help them define metrics and things that they should track, both internally and exposed to uh, the publishers. So that, that was a very good and educational experience. And as part of that, I've always been uh, passionate about performance as, as a general topic. And I guess one way to look about analytics is performance, right? It's performance about getting your content out there, but also performance in a kind of more nuts and bolts way of how fast uh, are my pages loading. And we know that you know, the more steps you add to your checkout funnel, the, you, you drop the engagement rate, uh, the slower your pages load. Uh, you drop the engagement rate. So all those things combined, like that, to me, they all kind of fit in the same bundle. And, and as I was working on the social analytics within Google, um, I also started branching out and working with a few other teams 
Uh, and at the time, uh, we had uh, an effort uh, that was called Make the Web Fast within Google. Yeah. And uh, as its name implies, that, that was precisely its goal. Uh, the, the goal for the team was effectively to make the web fast as a whole. And that included Google products and just the general infrastructure. So under that umbrella, we had a number of different projects, anything from how do we improve performance on mobile networks to how do we improve the performance of browsers. And of course, that's where the connection to Google Chrome and others came. Then there was PageSpeed, which was a collection of different products for how can we help publishers automate some of the performance best practices. So, so you're, you're involved in a lot of different things. How does that work? How does the structure work for your role within Google? I mean, do you literally have just a specific skill set that, that people borrow and, and, and ask you to get involved with? Or is it meant to be kind of a floating role where you get to choose where you work? It is a little bit of both. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, semi-officially, uh, I'm one of the performance engineers. I'm definitely not the only one. Uh, within within the company because as you can imagine every product cares about performance a great deal sure. within Google so to some extent my role is to kind of float above and between the different teams and help them identify problems help them connect to other problems because it is often the case as you well know within any sort of organization that there's one team that has already solved the problem that the other teams is, is struggling with so to some degree it's being that connector and also uh, identifying opportunities where we can do better so I work very closely with the Chrome team in particular, where our goal is to figure out what do the developers need to make their pages faster, and what can we do in a platform to also just improve the performance as a whole. So uh, by working with individual products, both within Google and outside of Google, uh, trying to understand what the issues are, we can then kind of bring that back internally, discuss what we can change in the platform, and also, if needed, define uh, new APIs and capabilities that work across all the different browsers. So I'm also involved with the, the W3C web performance working mm -hmm. group, where our mandate is effectively that, is to provide and specify and you know, help implement um, the necessary infrastructure to make the web better and faster. And, and I think that resonates well. I mean, Matt Cutts, when he was still active, you know, out speaking and so forth, uh, for years was harping on all the publishers about mobile and page speed and performance. And, and I think we've heard that even, you know, I, I've heard that from Gary almost every single Gary Isles. Is that how you say his last name, Isles? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, Gary Isles, he's been harping on that as well. You, you hear a lot about performance, and, and I think that it's very, it's, it's, it's kind of common sense, right? I mean, you want to have this experience. So one of the areas I was hoping to kind of talk to you about is page speed uh, insights, specifically insights reports. Um, I know mm -hmm. that you had mentioned, you know, it's not necessarily your core team, but as you've also alluded to, you kind of float around and work with everyone. So you have some experience and you've worked on that project. Um, one of the things I want to find out is there was a big push for mobile. We saw that change come in April, right? The whole mobile getting thing, which people named it, about you know the, the shift that if you weren't mobile friendly, you weren't going to be included in the SERPs. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a little gray on the area of does mobile friendly also equal performance? I mean, there's a, there's definitely does your site resize itself? Does it show up on mobile? And then there's the concept of page speed itself with the insights reports where it's about how fast is your site loading and you get this score 
from Google that says, hey, your score is 68 you know, out of 100 on mobile. How important do you feel that is for publishers right now to pay attention to the, the page speeds reports and, and to look at that data and try to fix that? So I, I think it's it's very important. Uh, you, you said that there was there was a push. Uh, there's still a push, <laughs> and certainly just observing uh, the traffic trends and what I see for like products within Google and just seeing where the uh, audience is going. It's it's just very very clear when you look at any analytics that you gather that most of the traffic is migrating to mobile. Of course, desktop is there, the tablets and all the devices, but there's just a tidal shift in how people consume content. And you have to think about mobile because mobile introduces a different way of uh, interacting with content. Uh, you don't have a keyboard, you're using touch, uh, the size of the text matters, everything matters. It's just a different user experience. And similarly, performance is also very different because uh, to some degree, the, a lot of the devices are not very powerful at all. On the other hand, you do have your high-end devices as well that are you know, as capable as some of the best computers that we had just a few years back. So there's a great dynamic range, if you will, of characteristics. So uh, in uh, the PageSpeed Insights, we actually highlight both. And I was, was really happy when last year we added the UX criteria mm -hmm. because that's something that was been missing uh, for a long, long time, uh, where we focused on performance in terms of the hard numbers of things like how fast is your page load. Uh, but then, you know, think of the experience where uh, you access a page and it actually loads pretty fast, but it has the tiny text and you kind of have to pinch and zoom and pan around and all the rest. Uh, it's just not great, right? As a user, you're, you're not happy because even if the page loaded fast, in order to get the information that you wanted, it took you so long. Mm -hmm. So this is what we mean by mobile friendly, right? It's like when you when you open that page, when you click on that link, it should render in a way that is immediately presenting the information that you're looking for in a way such that you don't need to do all these extra actions or hunt around and you know try to click that two pixel link. But and how, I, how do you how do you look at somebody like for instance you have really small text I mean do you guys actually track things like are people zooming in I mean is there things like that that you're able to detect to determine those UI issues? Yeah, that's a good question. So actually, when you run the PageSpeed Insights test, uh, there is two reports. There's a desktop and a mobile one. And effectively, what we're doing under the hood is we're rendering the page. Uh, we're we're doing two renders, one with a desktop user agent and one that emulates a mobile user agent with kind of all of the right properties. And uh, we look at uh, the output of the, the rendered page for mobile and we look at things like, so what is the font size? Can I actually click on the link there? Uh, there's some good UX best practices uh, for things like the text should be of, of certain size and there should be enough space around the link such that if I click on it, I, I, first of all, can click on it without zooming on it. And second, there's sufficient space around it such that I don't accidentally click on something else. So there's a bunch of telemetry there that's implemented that is all available in that report. And it, and it basically tells you, like, no, your links are too small or your text is too small and, and other criteria. So when we say mobile-friendly, that it's the combination of those two things. It's the UX and also the performance. But when I, when I run reports on, on 
um, the, the insights reports, I, I, almost all the sites that we run, they, they get like a 99 or, you know, pr pretty standardly for the UX. I mean, we, we seem to, you know, have gotten to a point where for most people that are current with the technology today, they're, they're flying, mm -hmm. you know, they're passing that with flying colors. What, what, what becomes a little confusing from a webmaster perspective is if I put in google.com, the, the mobile score is like a 63 or something. Um, and, 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 and that gets into the kind of not so great score range. And then when we run a bunch of other sites, we realize, hey, there's certain things in here that I can't fix. Like, mm -hmm. I, I can't fix the fact that it's pulling off of a Google Map API and, and it runs slow. I can't fix, you know, certain elements that are, that are out of my capabilities, right? Um, and, and so it kind of gives a lot of question to us as, public, as webmasters of, like, if Google's not scoring good, then is it hurting, <laughs> is it, is it hurting me that I'm getting a 68? You know, do, is there certain things in the Insight Report that are like, yeah, you should go fix this, or, mm -hmm. are, but don't worry about it? Or can you kind of give, are you able to give any insight to things that are like important for us to focus on? Or, and is that number something we should really be worried about? I think directionally, yes. So, so I guess there's, there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. Um, you mentioned that a lot of sites that you enter, you get a really good UX score, which is actually really great to, to hear because that certainly wasn't the case when it was first introduced about a year back. There's just a lot of sites that completely ignore mobile and just present their desktop pages into a mobile viewport, which, uh, which is pretty terrible. And last time I checked, that's still a fairly significant fraction of the web. So it may be the case that you're working with a subset that's already well optimized, and that's great to hear. That means that we're actually making progress. Uh, in terms of the other uh, criteria, th things like you know, lower scores on, on some of the pages because some of the things you can fix, uh, this is an interesting one. This is something that we've actually spent a lot of time discussing internally. So, for, for example, uh, say you have uh, Google Analytics on your page, which I'm guessing, uh, especially in this audience, will have you know, a lot of sites. Yeah, yeah everybody will, is going to have that. Well, if you do and you happen to run uh, the PageSpeed Insights report, uh, the page page and space report will actually t flag the Google Analytics script and tell you that, hey, this script is only cacheable <laughs> for five minutes. And you know you should be able to do better. And uh, there's other similar examples. Uh, Google's not the only one. So uh, social widgets, things like Twitter, Facebook, and all the rest. Well, CDN is uh, another thing, right? You want to be right. able to crawl CDN, and they don't let us because it slows down their process. So it's like, okay, well, none of the CDNs will let us and, it, and so our concern is like, well, that's penalizing us or hurting us, you know. Right. So uh, this, is an, this is interesting because uh, on one hand, you're right. It generates a, a bit of a noise, right, where uh, you're saying, well, I, I can't really fix Google Analytics. Like the one way for me to fix it is to host the Google Analytics script in my site. But there's a number of gotchas uh, that come with that, and I probably don't want to do that. Um, at the same time, when we look at it from the PageSpeed Insights perspective, uh, we look at it purely from a performance standpoint, right? So we, we know the things that we want to optimize, and we want to optimize things like caching to make sure that uh, you, you're not refetching the same content all the time because each one of these requests uh, is extra data for the user. Uh, it does slow down the page. Uh, so ideally, we would like to have a long-lived cache laptop. And then the question becomes, well, should we special case any of these scripts like, or, say, web fonts or other things? And our stance, at least so far, has been to 
uh, not do that. We don't want to treat uh, Google scripts or other uh, big providers in any special way because they do come with a performance cost. Sure. It just it is the case that you know you're making a conscious trade-off and you're saying. Yes, I understand that adding another script on my page is going to have performance costs. That's just by definition because I need to fetch some additional content. Uh, but the value that this thing provides to me is high enough such that I'm willing to make that trade-off. So we don't want to just hide that under the rug and say, oh yeah, please install as many of these widgets as you like because they don't really affect your UX. That's simply not true. Uh, but, it, but it should be kind of at the top of the pile and it should be visible for you to say to, uh, that so makes sense. You can look at it and say, like, yes, this is a conscious trade-off. I may not be able to get to a hundred page speed score because I have these scripts, but that's okay. And I know that this is a conscious decision. Now, uh, one question I want to ask you, and I know that this might not be something you can be super clear on, but I want to ask it just because I'll kill myself if I don't. And that's, do you is the page speed score that you see have any effect? On ranking, is that something that it, it literally having a higher number is better, or is it just simply a guide? So the intent of the PageSpeed score, the combination of the UX and the performance, is to reflect uh, some you know, like approximation of the user experience, right? So, so our goal is to have that score represent like how quickly and how comfortably the page will load across a variety of different devices and different uh, network conditions. So we try to model all of that. And out of that, uh, there, there's also the uh, observation that, generally speaking, faster pages and optimized pages deliver better user experience. And I can't speak on behalf of the search team, but in my conversations with various people on that team and kind of certain surrounding teams, it's pretty clear that search optimizes to improve the user experience. So uh, you've seen blog posts that went out and said, like, yes, we look at speed because it is a criteria that affects user experience. Sure. So you should be optimizing for the user experience, and speed is one of them. Perfect. And PageSpeed Insights also is aligned with that. So you know how and when they actually factor it in, I'm not exactly sure, but it is certainly aligned with those principles. Perfect, perfect. Now I'll stop holding your feet to the fire on this, and, uh, <laughs> uh, because there's another topic that you, that you talk about a lot that I'm super interested, in, and that's this concept of progressive web apps, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you've you've spoken about that recently, just in the last couple months. Um, essentially, you kind of mentioned one of these service worker. I, I'm not quite sure what that is. I'm guessing it's some sort of an, uh, a service or, or a code structure. But you you know, can you tell me a little bit about what is this concept around progressive web apps and, and service worker? Yeah, so uh, service worker is new, uh, new API within the browser. It's actually a collection of different APIs, and that, that's a better way to describe it, that come together to give web applications kind of a set of new and richer capabilities that really bring it uh, on par and actually I consider them better than some of the native experiences that you're going to have. So specifically, we're talking about things like uh, offline capabilities. So we've had, let's rewind kind of history a little bit. Uh, in the past, the web platform has provided some mechanisms for you to uh, provide offline experiences. Uh, but frankly, those were not very good, and they did not gain much adoption. But uh, it is certainly the case that one of the big reasons that uh, many developers are opting in to implement native applications as opposed to focusing on the web is because it can, they can provide a reliable offline experience. So if you happen to be on a shaky Wi-Fi or on the subway 
or you don't have you know blazing fast internet connection, or you happen to uh, be in a market where data is very expensive, uh, you can uh, serve an experience that is served directly off your device. So you have very reliable performance guarantees because the data is coming from your device and then you're kind of fetching the additional data from the network. Are you able to do things like background sync such that the user can interact with the application even while they're offline and then when they, when they come back online it is synced back. So think of your like email client or Gmail client, right? Just because you're not online does not mean that you cannot use the app. You can still compose an email and press send and the email goes out. So that, that's another one. Uh, things like uh, push notifications. So uh, it turns out that for uh, many publishers, and especially e-commerce, uh, push notifications are uh, a very, very important feature. And we, have, we, we heard this loud and clear from talking to many, uh, many e-commerce providers because they want to establish that relationship with the user where they can send them uh, kind of a nudge uh, every once in a while to say, hey, we're having a sale or you were interested in this product and it was sold out but now it's available. Uh, that is by itself one of the like key reasons that uh, many applications have gone native. And uh, we can do that on the web. And Service Worker is kind of a combination of features that enables that. So uh, by itself, Service Worker is an API that you would implement that uh, when you come to the site, uh, it still loads as a web page. It is a web page, and this is the, the best part. You, you come to the website. Uh, you load the page. In the background, the service worker starts executing its code. So it, it's just another script on your page. And uh, that service worker is able to register itself. It can download certain assets such that they're cached uh, offline. And then in the future, when the user comes back to the site, uh, all of the requests are actually routed through that service worker script. So I know we're kind of getting into the technical details here. No, that's uh, fine. But it's, it's really good because it opens a lot of doors for kind of the app implementation of it, like what it can do. Right, right. So once you have this thing installed, the service worker installed, everything is routed, all the requests, I should say, are routed through it, uh, which means that you can script everything. So you can intercept requests, and if you're offline, you can serve a cache request you can rewrite it, you can reroute it to a different provider, a different CDN, and provide a kind of a much, much richer set of capabilities. Well, did, and the key, go ahead. Sorry, and I was going to say, and the key point here is like, this is still the web, and we retain all of the great capabilities of the web, which is it's a URL, it's instantly shareable, you can just paste the link, you can still access it on any web browser, uh, and that's what we mean by progressive. It starts as a web page. It's that still ephemeral experience, secure experience. You don't need to go to the App Store, click the Install button, accept a bunch of prompts, and go through that entire funnel. This is this is kind of crazy though, because is this relatively new? I, I this feels like I don't hear this much. I, I'm not hearing this as a spoken discussion point, but this potentially has, in my mind some big potential for merging the two types of web interaction. Absolutely. So I think we've not had that many discussions at kind of architectural and product level at this point in the sense of like the broader audience. Uh, there's just been a lot of discussions at the technical level. And uh, like a big red warning here. <laughs> the Technical bits, uh, the many different bits that go into making all of this work are still very much under active development. This is something that we've been actively iterating on uh, within Chrome for the past year, year and a half. We've been working very closely with the Firefox team as well. Um, so 
there is kind of two implementations that are uh, working on it now. So, you know, if you're getting into this today, uh, you are probably more of the living on the edge uh, type of developer. Uh, but there are some great case studies already. So uh, recently, I don't know if you saw this one, the uh, Flipkart team. So uh, Flipkart is a, a big, if not the biggest uh, e-commerce provider in India. Uh, they wrote uh, a really interesting uh, post on their experience of using a service worker to uh, enable the Flipkart site uh, as an offline site. So th th there's some interesting history there where Flipkart was actually a website, then they went all native. Their website became an advertisement for their app. And then they realized that uh, there's actually a, they're actually losing a lot of users that way because the install process itself, the additional friction of the app, yeah, and all the rest. Well, just to, to make a comment on it real quick, you, in your video, you talk about a big fundamental part of this is about the install process, right? You showcased mm -hmm. how, you, you know, by the time you get to the use of the app, you've lost so many potential installs that this kind of, you know, uh, you know, new progressive, you know, web apps would allow you to use it right away. And the install would be more, uh, uh, you know, secondary. Um, so mm -hmm. it allowed the kind of engagement to kind of be stronger. So, you know, it kind of makes sense where you're, where you're going. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. I just wanted to throw that in there for anybody who was listening. Yeah, that's perfect. And this is a, like, this is nothing new, right? This is the same observation that all of us have when we like we, we try to optimize some sign up process, checkout flow, or something else. The more steps you put in, the more users you will lose along the way. That's sure. just pretty much a constant. And um, let's face it, the app install process as it exists today does inject a whole bunch of these steps, which will force you to lose a lot of users along the way. So we want to fix that and remove that and uh, use the best parts of the web, which is that instant gratification and also provide the richer capabilities that the apps do give you. So consistent performance, offline, notifications, and a whole bunch of other things. Well, the biggest thing I start seeing right off the bat from a publisher standpoint is this kind of offline concept, right? Gmail did their whole offline thing years ago, right? And it was mm -hmm. a big, it was a great concept because it's like, all right, well, I'm on an airplane, I can, you know, do my email, and then when I land, it syncs up, sends all my emails. Great, you know, it's perfect. Um, you know, Google Drive did this. We start seeing a lot of this kind of like offline capabilities. This, in essence, kind of paints at a simple kind of, you know, as what I see as a simple use case is, is the ability to, you know, allow somebody the capability of reading your website offline, right? To be able to script in to say the last 25 articles are constantly cached and anytime that there's an available push, it downloads and adds it so that you can open up my website on your, you know, mobile device um, and you can read all the content offline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's certainly one kind of one, one interaction. Um, Maybe you don't even have to go that far. So one of the, to me, one of the most interesting aspects of this, because I do tend to focus on web performance, is that it actually changes architecturally how we build our sites. It doesn't have to, but I think if you, if you assume that this is the right way to do it, like this is the future, then it changes how you think about um, the architecture of the site. And specifically, we're talking about this concept of a, an application shell, uh, where today... You know, th think of a kind of typical web page. Uh, we have some sort of a theme or frame, and then typically that gets composed on the server, 
uh, your server generates the HTML and the markup and delivers it to the client. And then maybe you use uh, XHRs and others to kind of fetch dynamic data such that it's updated. Uh, the loading of that page uh, is still subject to how fast does your server respond, how fast does the network are using a CDN, and a whole bunch of other variables, which is to say you're at the mercy of the network. With uh, Service Worker, <clears throat> because you can serve content locally, you can actually move the <clears throat> sorry no worries. Uh, you can actually move the frame of the page, uh, kind of that constant layout directly into the web in, into the device itself. So when the user clicks on the page, the the logo, the navigation bar, some content is immediately displayed because it's served locally, and it, that's regardless of the network speed. So it doesn't matter if you're on a like, really fast LTE connection or really slow 2G connection. You can deliver a reliable experience. So this is one of the key benefits that uh, for, like building an app actually gives you. It forces you down that direction because it assumes that you have your assets locally. And that's what Service Worker does as well. It forces you to kind of re-architect your application such that you, you can deliver this instant experience. And this is critical because even if you, like, if we come back to our earlier discussion about PageSpeed and PageSpeed Insights, uh, specifically there we're focusing on um, one aspect which we call the critical rendering path. And that's things like CSS and JavaScript and HTML that you need, like the minimum set that you need to get something visible on the screen, get the pixels on the screen. And with Service Worker, you can actually move all those critical assets uh, into the device itself, which means that you can guarantee that pixels will be painted within hundreds of milliseconds of the user clicking, which is a big, big game changer. It's just not something you can do with uh, even like the most highly optimized CDN deployment today. That's crazy. So when you you mentioned earlier, um, you know the that this is a big focus for you. This is something that you're very interested in right now. Um, Google tends to have an ability to kind of focus efforts to drive the industry. Do you feel like, in, in your opinion, that this is the 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 precursor to like a, a huge revamp in web development and the way that we deliver websites and and web apps as a whole? I think so, yes. Um, I, th I think this will change in, in a very large way how we build websites. And uh, we're already seeing some like early, very good prototypes of this. I know that there's a number of Google products that are already actively experimenting with using this. Uh, we're using it internally in, in Chrome itself. Uh, for example, your tab page is actually powered by Service Worker, the new tab page. Uh, so uh, we're we're still actively learning uh, in terms of like what are, what are the APIs that we need, what are the rough edges in the existing platform. Uh, but it's very clear already that this is going to be a game changer for uh, a lot of different applications. Now, if this is something that I'm like, I love this. This is super interesting. Is this something that publishers can start? coding with right now? Is there guides? Is there availability to forums? What's, what's available for people to start really getting into this? Yeah, so as I said, this is still um, under active development. So if you're diving into this, make sure that you're, you understand that you will probably have to uh, periodically update your code and all the rest. It's not entirely stable. Uh, but that said, there are some good resources. Uh, if, you, if you just... Um, Go to your favorite search engine and search for a service worker cookbook. 
uh, you'll find a couple of really good resources. Uh, there's a, a really great uh, collection of articles by Jake Archibald uh, on his blog where he documents kind of the high-level introduction for what, what a service worker is and also just patterns for uh, different strategies for how you can implement it. Um, I know there's also a new resource that the Firefox team recently put together. And let me see if I can find it. Uh, where they talk through... Uh, uh, so, so yes, it's servers, uh, service workers with a dot rs. So service okay. worker dot rs. That this is by Firefox. Uh, that work it, it works you through uh, kind of a number of different deployment strategies and where you can use it. So I definitely recommend that you, you read about it. Uh, unfortunately, there's no like good books yet. I think there's probably coming, uh, but. It's early, but this is the right time to start experimenting so, with it. What do you think is the timeline right now in your head of, you know how it works. I mean, you guys do a bunch of testing, some people do some testing, and then all of a sudden there's a break point where people are putting out services and they're putting out guidebooks and they're putting out articles on how do you add this and how do you do this to your nav? And what do you think the timeline is for this uh, in your head, you know, loosely? Are we looking at, you know, in 2016, this becomes something we start seeing implemented on sites across the board, or is it more like a 2017 that this becomes a common theme? That's a great question. So let's see. I think 2015, if I was to characterize it, is uh, to a large extent still very developer-focused. It has been very developer-focused, making sure that we get the right plumbing and iterating on that um, with a few early prototypes. With a few clients that are willing to kind of contribute the time to work around the rough edges. And I think we've proven that that has been, that it works. It's been very successful. We've demonstrated some very, very good wins. Uh, we've also been working with other vendors to get their feedback and all the rest, so other browsers. 2016, I think as I look forward, um, in early 2016, Firefox will enable uh, service workers by default. So they've had the support for all the same features uh, for a while, but they were in their nightly builds. They were not enabled. In early 2016, that's going to be enabled by default in Firefox. So that's, I think that that's a big milestone because now you have two, two implementations. Yep. And um, I think in 2016, we are going to start seeing a lot of content and a lot of, uh, a lot of content about the best practices and how-tos and books starting to be uh, deployed and coming out for Service Worker. And I think we'll see, I'm going to guess, the second half of 2016, a lot of sites started to adopt it. And uh, just to be clear, this is not like this is not an all or nothing sort of thing. You can take your sure. existing web page and enhance it with Service Worker, just a little bit in the background. That's if what I think is going to be like a really big first step, right? It's going to be like how do you make your navigation? You right. Know, We're not talking about building like an entirely different website or product, right? This is like you have an existing website, what can I do to enhance it? And I think there's gonna be a bunch of almost drop-in things that you will be able to just add to your page eventually that will just make the experience better. And then there will be kind of the next stage where you say, well, you know, assuming that this is the right architecture or the, the right direction for the future, can I re-architect some of my content such that it provides better experience? Like can I can I and should I think about push notifications and other things and background sync? And does it make sense for my application? Those require a little bit more involvement, obviously. Sure. Uh, but that's something that you get to like after you've done some initial work 
on your page. So look, man, this is incredibly uh, interesting to me. Um, I, I really look forward to kind of following your work. Um, for other people who want to follow you more, want to read more of your articles, want to be able to reach out to you if they need to, can you uh, give me a little information about where people can find you? Uh, well, the best place uh, to find, I guess, me and all of my other social work is on my, uh, my blog, which is igvita.com, I-G-V-I-T-A.com. Uh, and you'll see links there to my Google+, Twitter, and all the rest where I share a lot of this content and related content to the things we discuss here. Perfect, perfect. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you spending the time. Um, I, you know, I, I absolutely probably want to follow up with you a, a, another time down the road, and maybe we can connect and talk a little bit more as things continue to advance. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Great. Thank you for having me. Perfect. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.